0: Welcome to Walter Edgar's Journal. With me in the Scanner studio today is longtime friend and South Carolina artist, Dr. Leo Twiggs, a retired faculty member. He was formerly on the staff at South Carolina State University. And Dr. Twiggs has done a wonderful series of paintings called Requiem for Mother Emanuel, uh, his response to the tragic shooting in Charleston, South Carolina at Emanuel AME Church. Welcome back to the journal. Thank you. Before we get into the paintings, let's talk a little bit about you. You you are one of the more interesting guests I have ever had on the show. Oh, i You started off in St. Stephen, South Carolina. Indeed. Which, if you ask a lot of folks, they'd say, uh, where is that? <laughs> I've heard that often. Okay. But then your story takes you to Claflin in Orangeburg. Yes. And let's talk about that story, not only going to Claflin, but how you were able to support yourself with a part-time job. I think that's something that folks need to hear as well. Well, at St. Stephen's, I was uh,
1: at first a janitor at 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 the theater, and I worked on Sunday. And uh, the projectionist was a young guy, and he wanted to talk to the girls. And so he would show me how to operate the projectors in the booth. and. St- And while I operated the projectors for him, he'd go downstairs and talk to the girls. And I learned how to operate the projectors. And one day he said, I don't feel like this job is too confining. You can have this job. And uh, so the manager also knew that I knew how to run the projectors. So he said, "Uh, you better learn all you can because you're going to have this job. And that's how I ended up running the projectors in St. Stephen's. Well... Uh, and, me, we need to let folks know that this was a white theater. This was a white theater. I was above the balcony. We had a balcony. African-Americans had to go to the balcony. The the, the uh, uh, projection booth, of course, is above the balcony. So I was higher than the balcony, and I could see everything. And uh, I don't know that there was... In South Carolina, there might not have been more than three or four projectionists in the whole state. And of course, I knew I was the youngest, because I was still in high school. And then um, it came to the end of that uh, because I graduated. And because it was so confining, I ended up graduating top of my class. What are you going to do if you're up in a booth and you're running a movie and there's no place to go? (laughs) So I read books, everything I could. A lot of Erskine Caldwell, my first writer, Southern writer that I read a lot of, because they said he had some racist parts in his book called The Journeyman. And then uh, a, A Minister in My Hometown, a white minister, uh, came by, took my stuff because I had no way of knowing how I could go to college. My father had died. I was the oldest of... um Five brothers and a sister, and I was 15 when I started running the projectors. When I graduated, um, I just didn't know. We just didn't have the money, and he took me to Orangeburg, where I we well, took me to the the pastor of the big Baptist church on the square in Orangeburg, and the two of them took me to Claflin, and of course the president was aghast. Like, yes, you know who are these two guys bringing this little black guy in here? But he gave me a scholarship. I had to clean the studio. That's where I met Arthur Rose and uh, majored in art. And it was a struggle that first year. Uh, he only gave me um, work studies, so I had to get tuition. And my mom sold one of the two cows we had to get tuition. In fact, I didn't know I would go back after Christmas. I was on my way home, and when I was there, my mom said, Oh, we've sent your money. You know, we sold another cow. And I got that money, went back to... Claflin, but the sophomore year, a man named Ed Bowman, who ran the theater in Orangeburg, and the theater in Orangeburg is City Hall, so it was elegant, very elegant place. Um, it had uh, about seat about 700 and some, the balcony seated about 200 almost, and his his theater was first class. He opened the curtains and all of that, and so there I became a projectionist, ran everything, uh, Gone with the Wind was I had done that earlier. Uh, I ran one of the first CinemaScope movies in the state when that that came out and also ran Hondo with John Wayne, one of the first 3D movies in the state. And very few people knew that a little black guy was up there running the movies. So it was a, a very
0: um, impressive uh, kind of start for me. That was really how you worked your way through school. If you If you're, if you're Projectus for something like long with the, Gone with the Wind. You certainly have a lot of reading time. To...
1: <laughs> <laughs> of course, indeed, indeed. And I, you know, I ended up graduating top of my class in college as well. And I think it was because I had that time, and because uh, you change reels every twenty minutes, so you had twenty
0: minutes in between. Well, you, there's something you said about your first semester at at Claflin, and that is you were work study in the art department, and that's because you were. Were you doing any artwork before you? had that association i mean in high school drawing or i was i did um i did a lot of drawing in high school a lot of um in fact i
1: remember the first drawing anybody recognizes that i did a a drawing of the, my uh, my my school i simply took a piece of wallpaper and laid it on the back and to rode my bicycle out in front of the school and drew this picture Uh, of the school and everybody thought it was so great and then after that they would ask me to do bulletin boards and I did signs around town. Uh, That's what I think uh, piqued the interest of people who felt that I was in art and when I went to Claflin, I went to Claflin because it was the only place in the state where you could get uh, uh, art and so Arthur Rose was coming back, he had been at NYU where he got his masters and that was his first year back from Clafford, because he's graduated graduated from and had gone up to NYU. And so I came, and Arthur Rose was there, and uh, he became my mentor. He was the first artist I had ever met, the first real artist I had ever met. And uh, his interest peaked from there. He took me places with him. We went down to Florida A&M, where I met Hale Woodruff, the great muralist, who worked, eventually worked at NYU. and. And interesting enough is that when I went to NYU for my master's, he was one of my professors. All right. And then you ended up going to the University of Georgia to get a Ph.D. Uh, yeah, I got a, a DDD, a doctorate in art education, and the first African-American to do that. I graduated
0: in 1970. And so, so you were looking to for an academic career as is- In terms of teaching art is that no
1: I found out and Arthur Rose um, was one of the persons who who did who uh, did that is that if you're gonna become an artist you got to eat and therefore uh, you have to find a way to do your artwork and a way to make enough money to feed a family and Arthur Rose did that and ironically when I went to Georgia Lamar Dodd uh, was chair of the department, but he was an artist who had been to New York and who had a reputation, with, uh, one of the most famous Southern artists at the time. Uh, so he was, uh, he, I remember going to the University of Georgia and his, in his office he had his paintings strung around the room and then he had his desk over there with all the papers on. So he had that dual role of being an administrator and, and uh, as an artist. And that role of administrator slash artist, uh, teacher slash artist is what I did during my uh, career as a director at South Carolina State. I taught my students to not become just art teachers, but artist teachers who knew art education, who could get certified to teach, but who would continue to do their work. And it has worked marvelously because they and it takes discipline to do that. It took discipline.
0: I think that's a very interesting term. You taught them to be artist teachers, not art teachers. I think that's an incredible difference. A beautiful difference. But Walter, when you do that, you have to
1: design your program to do that. And because uh, in a small university you don't have a lot of money to spend a lot for, for art professors. So what I started doing is getting art professors who had an undergraduate degree but had an MFA in an area. For instance, I had a printmaker who had a degree uh, who in printmaking, although an undergraduate degree in art education. Uh, I had a sculptor who had an undergraduate degree and even a doctorate in art education, but who uh, had uh, undergraduate and master's degrees in sculpture. And so I also insisted that my faculty exhibit and uh, and because I exhibited, and I couldn't be the leader of that faculty if I didn't exhibit. So we had exhibiting artists, and we had exhibiting artists who had a rigorous program, and a lot of people would yell about the program because they thought they would come into art and kind of just scale through. Now, that is different because in art education, for the most part, uh, many uh, 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 teachers teach a lot of things, you know, they have to teach printmaking, they have to teach um, uh, sculpture, and that's not their specialty. And because if the faculty is small, it forces them to end roles that they're not prepared for. They're prepared, but not to the extent if you had an MFA, especially in the degree. So I designed a program like that, and it worked marvelously because a student could take painting and take three semesters of painting. Uh, they can take three semesters of paint making.
0: Let me ask you about uh, your own medium. You're, you're known for working in batik. When you went off to NYU to get your master's degree, what medium were you, were you working in? I was in? painting. You were painting yeah, I was oil? Painting. I was painting oil painting, yes. Uh, Hale Woodruff was my, uh,
1: my professor. And in NYU at the time, They were doing abstract expressionism, slinging paint all over the place. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I worked more controlled. I wasn't slinging paint. Uh, And I remember um, the first day at NYU, um, Woodruff would come in class with all these kids, and they were from all over, you know, a lot of them from upper state New York. And he said, just do something. And here I am, first time... You know, at this big university, I had been at the Art Institute of Chicago, but uh, you know, this time I was in a painting class, and he t- and so I don't know. I think I just grabbed something, gave you a piece of chalk, and I did something. And afterward, he had everything up. Afterward, he came up and he said, "Toys, where are you from?" I said, "From Orangeburg, South Carolina. That's where I went to school." Clap. He said, oh, "You are Arthur Rose's boys. He knew Arthur Rose. He said, you know." He said, "Your work is kind of different from the the work I usually see from from students down your way." He said, "I like what you." To me, it was like I mean, I walked around on cloud nine after he said that, and then I began to paint. And he never said a word to me. It was so frustrating. I was putting, and so every day I would take another walk. To 42nd Street, I'd go 3rd Avenue one day, I'd do 5th Avenue one day, I'd do 8th Avenue. And I looked at galleries, visited galleries. I, I, my first course was field trips to museums and galleries, because I just didn't understand what was going on slinging this paint around. But at the end of that course, one of the students in class, you had to do the critique, said, boy, Twigs is the most improved. Uh, he said, no, I knew Twigs could do it. And um, we became... More than just professor student, he was kind of like a father figure, a brother figure, really, to me. Kind of took me under his wings. We used to go to Chock Full of Nuts and have coffee. And what he taught me more than anything else, I think I still use it is color and texture mm. and how important those things are. And he also taught me about symbols. He said we African Americans need to learn to use the symbols from our culture, like Picasso used the bull and the and the horse and the Guernica. We need to find symbols in our culture. C.C. said we do it in our music. We do it in our jazz, but we haven't done it in our visual arts.
0: And I remember that to this day. When did you move into... Do you still do oils? No. Everything is in boutique. Everything. And And when
1: did you make that transition? I went to the Art Institute of Chicago, first place. And you know, the way I went to Art Institute of Chicago and NYU is that I couldn't go to school in the state.
0: And so the state paid money for you to go out. Okay, now this is a part of the story that folks out there need to to understand. (laughs) Because of segregation, and you wanted to get a graduate degree somewhere, You couldn't come to USC and study along with Jasper Johns as a fellow student. So so the state of South Carolina would pay your tuition to go to a graduate school out of state. Out of state. Which cost them a lot more money. A lot more money.
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I could never afford it if
0: I had to do it myself. Yeah. In great schools, oh. so I took advantage of it. Well, you know that that was Miss Kelly Perry. That was her story too. She got sent out of out of state to get her get a graduate degree because she they wouldn't let her. Yeah, Kelly Perry, the late Miss Perry was the 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 wife of Judge Matthew Perry. Yes. Now, Batik, I think we need to explain that to to folks. Okay. Uh, I was introduced to it at the
1: Art Institute of Chicago. And there was a woman there who did it as a, in a as a class project, and what she would do is she would do these silk scarves, and she'd have them tie it to one side of her skirt, and she'd come, and it, the breeze would be blowing. And one day I'd say, Miss Gray, uh, t- what is it about this, this stuff that you have hanging on? He said, we're going to get to that. In so we had a project where she taught us how to do it. And batik is an ancient process, Thailand, Java, Uh, Founded in Egypt, Africa. um, And it's a process of decorating fabric. And basically, it's a wax resist process. Uh, What you do in in some areas, they use cotton. Most areas, they use silk. And it, it consists of putting dye on, coloring it, and letting that dry and saving it by putting wax over it. And so you save that part, and you could put some more color on, cover that put some oak color on, cover that, and then you could dip it. And when you dip it, if you crushed it between your fingers, um, the cracks are there and dye seeps in the cracks. So that gives batik that crackle effect. So that by dipping and waxing and dipping and waxing, that's how the process is made, and then at the end, the wax is removed. Now, they're in different processes. How, how do you remove the wax? Uh, my wife removes the wax, so she is a part of my process. Sometimes I'll work on a piece for a month. My average piece takes about a week, week and a half, and you have it all stacked with wax, and then you have to take newspaper, and I don't use newspaper because I don't have the print on it. I use newsprint. Mm-hmm. My local newspaper is kind enough. Lee Harder and the group at T&D gives me the
0: ends of these things. t is the Times and
1: Democrats. Yes, T&D is the Times and Democrats. Yes, and, Democrat. mm-hmm. and he's been nice enough to supply me with the ends of the of the, of the of those papers and, and unprinted. And I cut them in, into pieces, and my wife puts newspaper under it. And on top of it, and a very hot iron, and iron the wax off. It takes as much as a Sunday edition of the New York Times. That's how much paper it takes to keep getting the wax
0: out. Okay, I was going to say, by the time you do multiple layers of wax, how thick is that? Oh, it's it's very thick. About a
1: but just because it happens, you know, well, not quite a half. Because you, when you, when you're covering it, you're not putting wax on top of wax, mm-hmm. so it's all one layer of wax. Uh, but it's a lot of it. Uh, as, I mean, the largest where I work is three feet by four feet, mm-hmm. and that's a lot of wax. Usually, I'm smaller than that. The Mother Emanuel series, uh, um, twenty-four by thirty uh, inches. But after that's done, that's not all of it. Then I have I build a mount. And this is a bit hardboard. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my brother's been doing that for me now. And I build this mount. And then when I say a mount, it's a flat piece of, of, of hardboard. And I have it, um, the, uh, it's framed with, um, with, with, with wood strips. And then I have to put that fabric onto that hardboard. And the way I do that is I have a special dry mount. It's very expensive. <clears throat> and that dry mount, is is, it, is put between that fabric and the hardboard, and then I use a very hot iron again to iron that fabric onto the hardboard. Okay. And then I leave it 24 hours. I put weights on it for 24 hours. Okay. And then after I do that, then I sometimes I take dye and work into it again. But then it's a painting. You see, it's not a fabric. It's 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 a mount on a wall that I could actually work on, put it on an easel,
0: and work on it. Okay, all right. I just, I'm just fascinating, and I. I, I hope... It's
1: a you know it's um it's a very
0: time consuming
1: process. Very time cons very time consuming to mount it, but it's also time consuming to do it because when you put dye on, it's unforgiving. You can't remove
0: it. All right. Now that now that was something I, I was going to ask you. Working in oils and having seen historic paintings over time, well, if they didn't really mean to mean to make something red, well, they could paint it over. Oh, g- gesso it,
1: yeah. yep. go back white again,
0: and yep. then paint it again. But if is it true that early on, when you were first starting this process, if if you got the color wrong, you threw the painting away? Oh, I threw, yeah, I threw pieces away. Could you please, Pe- people ask me— could you? Are you th- going to ask me? Are you going to
1: throw put one, you one away? of those rejects my way, please, sir? <laughs> Now, you know, what's what's amazing about that is when you dip a color, you know, if you have yellow on it and you dip it in blue, then you get green.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, If you dip it in light blue, you get a light green. You dip it in dark blue, you get a dark green. So what happens is you can ruin the mood or change the mood of a painting by dipping it in the wrong solution, color solution. And so sometimes I did that early on. Because it takes experience to understand, you got to know something about color theory and all of that to understand what what
0: works and what doesn't okay. work. Okay, I just find all this fascinating. Before we move on, I just want to get one thing clear about the process. You put the wax where you don't want the dye to go. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. So yes. we've got that yeah, that, we piece, met, that piece of cotton. Yes. And you start it. It starts out with a, with, a, with usually unbleached
1: muslin. That's okay. the cotton. Okay. Cotton fabric. All right. Then. You dip that f- fabric in color? Now, what happens is if I want to save, say, white or that color, I will put wax on it when I, as soon as I get it. I'll put wax on it. And then when I put wax on it, then I can put color around that because that area is saved. Okay. You understand? And then when I put that color around it, I have to let that color dry and then cover that with wax the wax saves the color so that it resists the color so that whenever i put it on and i dip it in a dye solution the dye solution does not penetrate what i save except when you crack it it lines goes in there you have cracks in there
0: okay let's let's move on specifically to the requiem for for mother emmanuel and I, i don't think we need to say what inspired you to do this one of the great tragedies in South Carolina history. Indeed. indeed. But your use of symbolism, you, you talked about earlier that one of your teachers said to use the symbols of culture. And I know from our earlier conversations and your earlier work, you have taken Southern symbols, not necessarily symbols associated with African Americans, but those associated with the Confederacy and what have, you have used as, as part of your work. And that certainly figures into requiem for mother emmanuel sure does you know
1: i was born just 45 miles uh, north of charleston Uh, my art teacher was a member of that church at one time he's his his folks were i remember going to a relative funeral at the church and i know the history of the church and I was really kind of appalled when this happened. It really got to me. And the reason it did, Walt, is because usually when things like these happen, uh, they usually, you know, thieves in the night. You know, the bombing in Alabama was done. Put the bomb in, and then they leave, and uh, they'll burn a church at night. But to go in a church and to sit in Bible study and then afterward to kill people Because for African-Americans, the church is a sanctuary. This is where you feel most comfortable, where you can let yourself go. And when I look at Obama there, obviously, he kind of felt at home. He started singing. That probably wasn't in the script, but he felt at home because the church traditionally has been an African-American sanctuary. So when I started doing the series, some of the things that I had done earlier, the Confederate flag. Um, targeted figures were part of what happened because the church was targeted. Obviously, he went around looking at all the many churches in Charleston. That's why they call it the Holy City. But he picked that particular one, so he targeted that church. Um, you saw him with pictures of the Confederate flag, so he was motivated by what he felt that represented. And so it was like, the perfect storm, where both of these came, things came together. So my first painting was that target figure, uh, and you saw the you you see the silhouette of the church in the background, but there's that target, and there in the church there are places that are very sacred, and so I simply cut a slot in it and put in a cross and um, and 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 some of the the, the liturgical. Things that would probably be used in a church uh, to show how sacred that is, and
0: the, and the target to show that that sacredness was was violated, is the fact that there is a crescent moon in the sky. Is there any South Carolina symbolism there? Or? Well, it could, but it happened at night. Yep. Yeah. And so, and and the uh, and, and and eventually
1: it turned that way. The interesting that you should see that because if you look at the other pieces soon, you see the Palmetto tree emerging mm-hmm. in them. And and so that that's just where it started. And then I, I knew I had to do another work. And while I was work doing that work, one of the clients who had purchased my work early on said, told my gallery director, Leo Twees ever does anything about the Mother Emanuel series with the flag in it, I want to buy it. Well, I was doing it at the time. And so that's why the second painting has the flag in it and then the number nine.
0: Let me just take a moment to describe this to to our listeners. Uh, there is a publication out there. There was a catalog done for the first exhibit at City Gallery in, mm-hmm. in, in Charleston. The first painting is the outline of Mother Emanuel. It is stark white with the target on it. And as you mentioned, there is a cross on a chain yeah. in, in there. The second one is the outline of Mother Emanuel over what has been superimposed a tattered Confederate Battle flag, and I would also say the way that since there are no edges, it looks like it looks like blood. Yeah. Then underneath that, you have number nine.
1: And there are, if you look in there closely, there are X's. And those X's around nine is that when a body is when they when they investigate a, a body, they'll leave a mark where that body is laying. And so you see the X's there. Those X's kind of marks the spot where somebody was slain. And I wanted to get the feeling of bloodiness, of what would happen, what was it like when they went in and found these people
0: on the floor. So I wanted to get that feeling uh, in that second painting. And, and the X's are a little bit indistinct, but in the third painting they are... Very distinct. Very, very distinct. And the moon reappears. Yes. And you've got the flag, and underneath it are... Nine. Nine... X's. X's. Black X's. Yes, okay. about that's where they lay. Moving on to number four, you've got, again, the church. You've got the Carolina moon on, I will say a crescent because we know it's not officially a moon. It's the, it's a crescent. But <laughs> yeah. there is a dark blue cloud with the crescent there. The Confederate flag is beginning to fade. yes as are the exes. Yes. Yeah. Oh, one of the things that I
1: knew, looking, thinking at this, and, and you know, it was, for me, this was a cathartic experience, and I knew that I had to move from the bloodiness of it. And if you notice that in that fourth one, um, the, the, the church becomes larger, and the flag and the bloodiness of that becomes smaller, uh, and on the A side there, what you're looking at is the beginning in that cloud of that moon, of that indigo blue. You see an emerging uh,
0: kind of image of the palmetto tree, just so, just peeping above it. It's it's not quite as—now uh, that you've told me, I can see it. It's not quite as obvious in no. number four. No. But in number five, yes. it is very apparent. Yes. And again, we're dealing with— the background is the church yes. the outline of the church the confederate flag is really fading out there's it's almost faded. no red yes. but in the upper left quadrant you've got that patch of indigo yeah. blue yeah with the crescent and clearly what looks like palm fronds yes emerging yeah
1: but the other thing too is that if you notice in that flag it's almost like a cross yeah that that flag and that one um, i've tried to transition it from the x that's the st andrews cross to a christian cross
0: yes <laughs> it's no longer a st andrews cross if you if you if you look at it because one of the ends has faded out yeah 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 oh man the symbolism is <laughs> <laughs> you know it's a move toward redemption Dr. Twiggs, we need to stop for a moment and let our listeners know that this is Walter Edwards' journal, and I'm talking with Dr. Leo Twiggs, renowned South Carolina artist, about his work, Requiem for Mother Emanuel. And there are nine yes. different pieces to this. The one thing I remember from art history, is used to talk about a triptych. There's no such thing as a nine... I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it's, just a, it's just a series.
1: Yeah, it's just a series. And the series itself, Walt, is not... Um... It's not sequential. The numbers you see are there because those are the order in which I did them. Uh, Because for me, each is a kind of testimony, what I felt at the moment. And so they kind of live by themselves, but they work together because they were testimonies about a single incident. I knew that as I painted, I had to go inside. I had to see what it was like there. And that's where the historical significance of Mother Emanuel is, uh, because when you get inside, you see that window at the back of the church that is overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And I, when I went in, I had a friend down there, Representative, former Representative Breeland, and his wife were good friends, and we were their guests. And we went, my brother and I went, and we had lunch with them in the basement. Less than ten feet from where the where it all happened, and you know, Bible study is a unique experience because Bible study is a place where you get warm and fuzzy with the pastor. You see him on Sunday from the back of the church, but if he's the teaching Bible study, it is when you get to close to him and you hear what he has to say, and he can do one-on-ones with you. And so it's a very, very important and very kind of intimate session. And so while I was there, and we spoke that this was a senior Bible study, I go to senior Bible study at my church. In fact, I missed it that Sunday and spent that Sunday with them at Mother Emanuel. But then I thought while I was there, this is what it was like when Dylan Roof came in. And even though it was warm and and inviting. His heart was so hard that it made absolutely no difference. So in a sense, I was really re-experiencing what he had experienced. Only the outcome was, for me, trying to put this in some kind of visual form.
0: And the main feature of this particular painting is the outline of the church. It is no longer stark white. In the center is that beautiful stained glass window, and the X's, the nine X's from the earlier painting, yeah, they have called... now become crosses. Yes, and they are ascending. Yes, towards the the peak of the church, which is always topped with yes with a cross, and two separated clouds in the northeastern quadrant have now merged into one large blue cloud, and the palmetto tree is very recognizable. Do you want to talk about well, I, why you've got the emerging palmetto tree? Because it happened in South Carolina, I,
1: and um, and, I, and the South Carolina flag for me is fascinating because it's such a great design. I mean, I, know, I think of all the states, South Carolina's flag is, you know, it's a powerful graphic design. And I wanted uh, somehow to connect this to South Carolina. You know, when you do something like this, you hope that it has a life beyond the moment that it's, it's done. And what I tried to do is, is say something about Mother Emanuel. And maybe from year, and years to coming, uh, people will not even know about the event. But if they could remember that something tragic happened at a church, that would be worth it. And so what I wanted to show was these different moods. I don't know that I could have done this with one painting. I think the series of paintings showing the ebb and flow of emotion because it always concerns me about our Christian religion. Uh, Our Christian religion uh, is about forgiveness, but it's also those souls that went to heaven uh, had to go by the way of the cross. And the way of the cross is what Christ went through. Christ said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And so for those who were left, they followed the way of the cross. For those who are gone, they too went the way of the cross. Um, So in the next painting, what you see is an indication that the flag was there. A target, the nine, and the
0: ascending saints that were killed. The background is the church, the stained glass window with its Gothic arch pointed heavenward? Yes. And um, It's a combination
1: of inside and outside. Okay. Uh, you know, I was, this, the other one was in the church. The next one is the combination of the inside of the church, because if you notice, there's a slant that suggests the roof. And when I was doing the silhouette of the church, I mean, it's not exactly Mother Emanuel. It suggests, because I think as an artist, you know that it's a church and you can suggest that. And so if you notice the silhouette um, of the church is, is always there. For me, it's like music having the bass beat, mm-hmm. that it's always there. That's how you know from, from years to come, while these paintings might go to different people because different people own them, When somebody sees them, they say, oh, that must be a part of the Mother Emanuel series.
0: I I want to remember that when we get through discussing the paintings about what's going to happen to to all nine of them. And the target now, and this is one of those details that just grabbed me, is the bullet holes around the target. When I looked at that, yes, you've got the crosses going to heaven, but right there is that target and it's peppered with bullet holes
1: the other thing about that is that not of people that noticed that <clears throat> there were uh 12 people there and if you notice the x's are there but three boxes three survivors
0: those yes. boxes are not yes yes they're or the, as you say, there there are twelve boxes, but three of them are blank. Yes,
1: yeah, that's the only painting. And I and when I was doing that, I don't know that I even thought about that. It's just that sometimes it just comes. And then the the eighth painting. Uh, so many people have said that's their favorite painting. In fact, I uh, we had a seminar and at Swantonberg and. Jan Panetta from the Whitney Museum was a part of it. She came over and said, Oh, that's that's my favorite painting. I don't know that I have a favorite, but in that I knew I had to say something about the souls
0: rising from that church. Well, you've you've got the outline of the church. The background to that is indigo blue. There's no palmetto tree, but it's it's clearly an indigo blue the South Carolina blue. Mm-hmm. And then you have a rising cloud of crosses, but you also have the X's still in the church. Yes, and if you notice,
1: it's like a target there, only the target is very pale mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, it's it's that they're gone. They have overcome that. They have overcome, for me, the, the, the murder. They've overcome that, and I believe they're in a better place. And I think... Um, They've transitioned, and, and that's the most important thing. You know, in our culture, we don't have funerals. We have home-going ceremonies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's Swing Low Sweet Chariot coming for the Carry Me Home. I remember we had a revival. And the group came in and the revivals are nice because they come from the country and they bring all those old things that that people used to sing a long time ago. And they said, no more Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, no more Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Every day will be like Sunday when I get home. So home is such an important place for us because for us that is where heaven is. Mm. And that is that, that working to get home is so important. And so... When I did these paintings, for me, it's always that rising up. You've heard that some glad morning when this life is over, I'll fly away, flying away to that place, that other dimension that
0: we hear so much about on Sunday. And the final piece, again, you've got the outline of the church, but you have two lines from lift every voice and sing. It's centered with a large nine. It's not bold. It's gray on white. But now this may seem kind of silly, but when I first saw that, because I do know that particular tune, this painting sang to me. You know, that was the most difficult one to do
1: because uh, it is when you're doing and you know you're going to do nine because the reason I did nine is because of a person named Jennifer Whittle mm-hmm. and whose husband is Mac Whittle who's on the board of trustees and when I did when I, I received an honorary doctorate from USC Mac was my walking partner because when you are receiving an honorary degree you have a walking partner and he was my walking partner and he was what they were one of the first to buy one of my paintings and uh, and Jennifer is the one who said after she asked me to have that, like number three, she wanted that down in Charleston because we were doing an auction. And uh, she said, I want something for that auction. You need to have something in it. Well, that's Charleston. you know. I'm in Orangeburg. And I don't usually do auctions because what happens it makes your gallery director mad, you know. You usually to work sales for less than it would. But I agreed uh, because Jennifer, uh, I knew that she was helping out. And it went viral. It, it sold for a lot of money. It, it ended up, you know, bidding $14,500. And this was a 14 by 19 painting, number three is. And so that's how I got into doing this in the first place. Then she said, Leo, why don't you do nine? And nine, this was January. Here I am, you know, rushing to do this. And so I knew that I had a final number to do. And when I, close, I got, what do you say to end it? You know, you could... You know, the hallelujah chorus was the ending. <laughs> I had no hallelujah chorus. Uh, what do you say? And then I thought, well, to that, you know, we Mother Emanuel, as, as tragic as it was, is not the end of our road. It has happened before. It'll happen again. It happened in Birmingham, you know. It had happened with Emmett Till. It happened with Walter Scott. It happened all over. It is the stony road we trod. And so I wanted people to know that this is not the end of our tragedy. And I wanted them to get the feeling of how we came to be like this, how Mother Emanuel came to be that historical connection to mother Emanuel, and that's why in it you see um that background that african background because charleston was the place where the slaves came in mm-hmm. and i was doing this for the, the 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 waterfront gallery and i could look out the window mm-hmm. and see these places and i often thought what happens when your slaves brought over from africa in the holes of a slave ship, month, two months, and finally brought up to this new place. The sun is in a different direction from where they left. They have no idea where they are. And they see their world for the first time. And that's why you see in the background that kind of yellow, grayish, purplish thing, that cloud. That just, just kind of stuck in me that how did I happened to put that there. I don't know how it came there. And then I thought something that James Weldon Johnson wrote was so appropriate when he said, we have come over a way that with tears has been watered. We have come treading a path through the blood of the slaughtered. And that's the story of Mother Emanuel. That's the story of what has happened to African Americans in their journey to where they are. I mean, that to me is something that I had to say, and I could find no way to say it but to quote those words. And it was a problem because when you put words in a painting, people tend to forget about whatever else is there instead of reading the words. So I had to put the words and and, and make them work as a part of the composition. Uh, But they are so important, and it is probably the piece that is
0: used more than any others to represent the series. And the whole series is, is very gripping. I mean, really, I mean, it, it, it is. But you mentioned earlier that by the time it goes through the museum showings, and it started out in Charleston at City Gallery, and then it moved to Spartanburg, then to the Mint Museum, and it's going to travel after that. But the nine paintings are owned by different people. So the last three were bought by the Johnson Gallery? The Johnson Foundation Don and, 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 and,
1: and, and, and Spartanburg. And what they have done, uh, it's amazing how they were so moved by it that they asked the other six people to let them keep the paintings, to show them around. And so the paintings, the Johnson Foundation spearheaded everything. They got it together. From Charleston, because after Charleston, people could have come and pick up their paintings. Mm-hmm. They wrote each person and said, well, you agree, because they have only three the other six people, and they all agree, and so they brought them to When they brought in to Spartanburg, they got uh, the Panthers football team to come over and look after them. In fact, they brought in Ron Rivera and his assistant coaches, and they came in and they said, this is something that our captains of our football teams need to see. They came and they made a video. And what was amazing is to hear these football players talk about their feelings and what they saw in that and how important they thought those works were. And then after that, they showed those around. And then ESPN came down and did a national special that was shown um, at the Panthers football, uh, Monday Night Football, when they played Tampa Bay. And so from there, it was shown nationally. And Walter, to me, I don't know what it is, and I'm so humbled by it. Uh, when I went to Charlotte, um, what has happened to the—Charlotte the, wanted it because it, they wanted it to use as a catalyst for conversation about a race. That's what they did in Spartanburg. They had a symposium, and they had people talking to each other, and they had a mixed audience, and it was really wonderful. Nicky uh, Finney was there and did some poetry. And to me, that is what is so important about this, is that people are taking it and using it as a catalyst to talk about race. And it's amazing. When I went up, I spoke to some civic leaders in Charlotte, and I just went through the same thing we talked about, how I went to this. And at the end, I said, any questions? And there was this silence, and there were tears streaming down people's faces. And i had, that had never happened to me before. But for somebody to look at a series of paintings and to be so overcome with emotion to start crying, I, you know, it was something that took my breath away, really. In Spartanburg, I was standing out there, and ESPN had come with all this equipment. These guys come with this all this equipment, and they did the recording. And, and so afterward, I was standing in the lobby, and they let some people in the seat, and this girl came out, and she was crying. And she said, it was so moving, and she just ran out of the door. It was tears streaming down. And you know, I know that art has power, but you always think that power is with performing arts, not with visual arts, because visual arts are, the viewer has to find himself engaging and it it, it just moved me beyond I don't, I don't know what to say about that
0: uh, right now i understand that art in america is reviewing it and we might let our listeners know that an independent filmmaker is doing a documentary about you yes uh, i mean your work has always spoken to people i mean you you have been very collectible for For years, but this this series is is something special. And rather than you did not react to this in anger, no, and or there's there's no slashing. There's the 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 spatter paint that you talked about at N Y U. Might some people might have reacted that way. (laughs) It's at the same time it's it's powerful, and you meant to look. I guess this you're continuing the forgiveness redemption. Yes, you have, you have to. You 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 have to keep your head. When
1: Picasso did the Guernica, uh, about um, the Nazi saturation bombing of the Spanish town, I'm sure, it, it, being Spanish, you must have been angry, but you have to keep your head because if you do it in anger, then anger doesn't last. Anger has a short shelf life. Uh, what you want is to penetrate the soul where somebody leaves with something. And if it's angry, they won't leave with anything. And I and I, I always, even in my work, uh, people always ask me, how is it that you get away with, this is what they say, with painting Confederate flags and nobody, you know, question, You know, because I, I'm not in the business of of, of, of making the flag a symbol. The flag is what it is. For me, it's a, a symbol from another time. you know. And so when you see these images in here and the flag is, we all know that that flag became that symbol. And so I'm so pleased that people tend to understand. And I don't know how, how they do it.
0: I'm just so grateful that People understand what I try to do. Leo, I hate to say this, but Alfred's given me the wind-up sign. So are there any last words you'd like to leave with our listeners before we sign off today?
1: Only keep the faith, because I think more than anything else is that what sustains you. Uh, And I'm going to be working as hard as I can to paint as long as I can so that I can influence as many people as I can to keep the faith in our system and in
0: the place of your birth. Well, thank you, Leo Twiggs, renowned South Carolina artist. Thank you so much for being with us today on The Journal.
1: My pleasure, to my pleasure.
0: This is Walter Edgar and I hope you enjoyed today's journal. I know that I did. Leo Twiggs is achieving recognition far beyond the boundaries of South Carolina and the American South. Requiem for Mother Emanuel is about his reaction to the Charleston tragedy at Emanuel AME Church. Not in anger, but with forgiveness, redemption, and beauty. This is Walter Edgar. Join me next week for more of The Journal. Walter Edgar's Journal is a production of South Carolina Public Radio. The producer and engineer is Alfred Turner. Production of this program is made possible in part by listener contributions to the ETV Endowment of South Carolina. The views and opinions expressed on Walter Edgar's Journal are not necessarily those of South Carolina Public Radio.